What's going on, everybody? This is another episode of the Nerds of the Round. Here with me, as always, is my co-host... Sebastian. And we'll be introducing a new co-host... Law. And I am your boy, Tone, from across the hall. Tonight will be an awesome episode. We work, we'll be talking with some friends of mine launching their first ever digital and published comic, The Legends of Atara. And with us, we have Sean and James Pierce. What's going on, guys? Oh, nothing much, just chilling. Thank you so much for having us on. Likewise, thank you for thank having you. us on. Well, we really appreciate uh, giving us a voice. Yeah, totally. I mean, I saw I saw your post on Facebook, and me and Sebastian are always looking for stuff to talk about on the podcast. And we want to. I know he's really big on working with different collaborators, different creators, especially in the independent space. Oh, you're making me sound good. Right <laughs> <laughs> Talking him up a little yes, bit. Yes, yes, I am. Buy his shit at his next conference, at his next cons. Um, and so we'll I saw we'll it. I was like, shirt for <laughs> the buy shit. my shit club. Uh, so I saw your, I saw your, your promo on Kickstarter. I took a look at it. I was like, this is dope. I also know these guys, so this will be easy to bring in. And I <laughs> shared it with Sebastian. He was all in. So we're really excited to hear everything we can. You know, non-spoilery, of course. Right. About what you can about what you can talk about about the world, the world-building process, since you are a repository of information for this world, the influences you've had, and just the overall story of how this has started. Because and your Kickstarter does talk about that this has been something growing in your minds for a bit of time. Yeah. So let's. Uh, so I say let's start with that. Like, so tell us about Legend of Legends of Atara. Well, Legends of Atara is basically this wonderful fantasy world on this continent, which the continent is called Atara. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like your epic tale. Like It's supposed to be this kind of really awesome giant battle against the most evil of forces. But at the same time, we try to centralize it where from character to character, it's about how they grow through these kinds of strife and uh, how they get through it. Yeah, and that's really like the heart of Atara is is really uh, about focusing on these individual characters. It's uh, a, both a coming of age tale, and because we we we're with these characters when they're relatively young, to we see them grow old. Uh, so it, it's about you know growth and and how uh, it, people react to like the changes and whatever are thrown at them uh, during their lives. Among other things. Very cool. Very cool. So when you were talking about us with uh, us watching these characters grow, so you have a number of issues planned. I'm assuming issue one is them as teenagers, adolescents, and you have a vision up until where they're, they're used to the world. They've already established what they want to do. They've set themselves up as that new generation of, of characters. Is that the plan? Yeah. It has like story arcs spanning, I guess, their age group. So they start off anywhere between the ages of 17 to like 21, mm -hmm. uh, you can consider. Uh, the characters that we're following are of the race of what we call Dragonairs. We'll explain that potentially later. But okay. um, <laughs> uh, basically, they have been blessed by the creator, and they're capable of using uh, elements as if uh, they would use like their arm or their leg. So obviously they have to train to develop those abilities. Uh, with that comes an expanded lifespan, but they don't live like thousands of years more than humans, maybe an extra 20 to 40 years. So they'll be fine up to the age of maybe like 90 and then things get rickety at 100. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we try to follow a central age group between 17 to uh, 21. And then from there, I think the character are kind of split to where they're 
like in their 30s? Well, yeah, we um, at a certain point in the story, well, at least what we have planned, uh, we skip ahead a little bit and it, we start in their, their teens and then we kind of skip to see them, you know, as full-fledged adults uh, in the world. Uh, so, and, uh, but at that point, we also have a focus on other characters. It's not always like going to be on them. Like we have a, a lot of side characters too, uh, that aren't, uh, just Dragonairs. So we, we also, uh, see, a, a lot of generations come and pass while we're also still, you know, focused on, on the same character. So because Dragonairs live a, a little bit, uh, uh, older than, than some of the other people on Atara, we also see like the impact of that, like where, uh, other people, you know, maybe their parents have told them about these characters and then they meet these characters. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, in terms of like how much we have planned, like it does span a, a pretty long time. Do you do you know your ending already? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Did you write with an ending in mind? Uh, actually, well, yes. When I when I first thought of this whole thing, I actually thought of it like uh, in in a series of movies, uh, and I kept it to because I was really young. I think I was like fourteen at the time, and so I saw it as like Lord of the Rings, where I got three movies to work with, and this is how I have to develop this concept. I, I didn't think of it that way, but my little brain was just like, all right, do it that way. <laughs> And um, then I just kept going with the concept and going with it. And then Julio was like, like my mighty steed. Like he just like, like he just took it to another level. And it kept, in, it kept going. We do have a general idea of how it's gonna end. Um, but I, I think a better way to say it is like how every arc ends. Like we have that idea of how every okay. arc ends. Okay. My question is for characters. So you guys have, a, how many characters do you have for the story so far? Uh, in terms like of with the main characters we'll stick with main characters yeah. main characters well the main group that most people will notably be following will be six okay yeah and um, so for each character like because i like to go through the creative process because it's always fun creating characters mm -hmm. um what was the process for you guys when you were bringing these characters to life and everything so um i mean i guess we we went the power rangers route and i'm <laughs> not not literally but like so each of those characters are Dragonairs, so each of them have an element. And I guess when we first started out, we went, okay, well, we have a fire Dragonair. How do we want to do that? Do we want to give him a fiery personality, make him yeah, a we, loose cannon? We, we started very broad and, and cookie cutter, but as, as we really started digging into like these character backstories and uh we we tried to make them as realistic as possible and then during the creative process you know uh, they they really did become their own characters and we we strayed away from like tropes and uh, like yes all the main cast do have like different elements and that might be considered a trope but uh i i, I think it's a less of a focus on like what they represent and more of the focus on like just them trying to shape them as realistic people so when we when we we're talking dialogue or personality, we, we try to like, okay, what would we do in these situations or what would a realistic person do in these situations? Cool. And then the, the Dragonairs, so you're saying there's there's six? Uh, no, no. Uh, there's in the they there's not just six Dragonairs. It's okay. not like a case where it's like only these kids are, are super powered and everyone isn't. In the world of Atara, like Dragonairs are a race of people. So okay. uh, there's thousands, I would say, Dragonairs. And yeah, but they're they're relatively they don't. Uh, they're not a huge race. They're about like uh, maybe a hundred thousand. Yeah, compared to like humans on on the continent, that number in like the millions. And do they do they live in their own section of the country? Do they have their own villages? Or are they kind of just spread out because based on the elements that they revolve around? 
they're centralized to a city that's kind of in the center of the continent. Okay. So they have this illustrious, gigantic city. I guess you could consider it maybe the size of Manhattan. Yeah, um, I mean other countries. Uh, yeah. There, there are other countries that have like comparable or even much larger cities. But like where where theirs is like decently large, they make up for that in kind of like opulence. Like they they're really considered like opulence. <laughs> they 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 have a flair for for architecture. We're playing way too much Destiny, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, season opulence just came out pretty good uh but no the uh the the dragonaires they they they're they're there's not a lot to their people and they only have one centralized city that's also their their country they are an independent country uh, uh but they only have about the one city and maybe some surrounding areas but well really they're just recently and recently that we go into yeah. that in the in the story yeah. as well what are the races we're kind of dealing with um it's so you have the dragonaires which are the they're humans but capable of using elemental powers. Uh, and then you have regular old humans that are kind of sectioned off into their own races. So you Well, have less races and more, I guess, cultures. That, that would be yeah. easier. So be a better way to, yeah, yeah like yeah. a geographic kind of idea to it. So we have these Viking-type people called the Ufamen who live up north. Then to the northeast is the imperial city and peoples of Itara. So those are like the... Kind the of like, a, you know, I would say, like, their cross between, like, maybe uh, like uh, medieval Europe, European knights and stuff like that. So like if you're thinking about like culture from like the Renaissance or stuff like that and, and going forward, it's like a mix between that and kind of like some steampunk elements. Like they are, uh, they're hitting their industrial age right now. So they're experimenting with like uh, blimps and like possible air travel and like making their city more modernized. But then there's still the, this, this very feudal, uh, imperial uh style to them they're led by a king they have an order of knights who serve the king and there's a central religion so it's kind of like right now they're 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 featuring a clash between like modernization and still sticking to the old ways generally what got you guys into comics and made you want to pursue this path hmm I think for me, a lot of, as I got older, because I went from reading just regular fiction books, uh, um, it was really nice, but I guess putting like art behind it is kind of like watching a version of a movie, but literature-wise. And so I hadn't really uh, read comics until way later in my life. It was manga. Well, I guess manga is, right. <laughs> is comics, but people see that as like its own little thing. Um, but... Uh, I was reading Naruto for a while. I was in high school, and I was like, oh, this is great. I really like it, but I never got, like, so into it that I wanted to get into, like, the whole world of just comics and manga in general. Um, but then as the Marvel Cinematic Universe started to pick up, and I really locked in with Iron Man, who's one of my favorite characters ever, uh, I just, I was like, you know what? I got to read everything about Iron Man, no matter what it is, even if it's the worst possible story. I don't oh, care. Some bad ones. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> it's just like, doesn't matter what he's doing. I want to read it. And that really opened up the doors because I saw so many different takes on who Iron Man is. I didn't even know that. Like, I thought it was just one artist and one writer doing all the stories. Like, I was so new to it. And I realized that there's so many different perspectives, so many different art styles. It was a beautiful experience. And so that inspired me thinking, you know, since this story is so expansive, the comic book format might be one of the best formats because it offers so many perspectives on this world. I agree. I agree. Uh, I guess for me, like, I, I've always, like, even as a kid, like, my dad 
Uh, used to uh, have like a lot of comic books around. Like that was his thing. He was more of like a DC guy, and I would read these. And you know, I I I always thought it was like uh, kind of like an interesting uh, way of telling stories. It's like as a kid, you kind of grow up with picture books and then comics or like adult picture books but it wasn't really towards like uh, uh, I guess much later too that I realized that comics were 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 capable more than telling like just kids stories like uh, getting into like graphic novels uh, or more serious titles like Sandman um, I I came to realize that you could tell very poignant and and serious stories through this art form and that really uh, uh, left an imprint on me so uh, when we had the story, I, I realized, you know, telling it in a graphic novel or, or a comic book format would be a perfect way of telling the story, I feel. Especially, with, there's so many uh, way, more ways you can uh, kind of express stuff in, in art and on paper than just with regular words. Like, I, I feel comics and graphic novels are like the, the perfect blend of like, you know, literature and, and storytelling. Just a quick note. Uh as an inspiration, I forgot to mention when I actually read Preacher, that changed everything because like I would, I don't know, at the time that I read it, I was reading comics that weren't necessarily like gritty and intense. So when I started reading Preacher, that kind of even changed how I decided to write for Atara in the sense that it's like gods can bleed and <laughs> like why can't you know like let's make this like heavy you know and make the anti-hero like like let's force these kind of ideas where not everybody's perfect even if you have like you know your main character they should have their flaws and wear them on their sleeve because that's something that people can resonate with it's a really nice thing it makes you feel like they're human instead of this fantastical person doing things so for the story that you're writing i know something you know that i like to look at when it comes to fantasy is where are you on that spectrum of realism? So let's look at like the scale I'll use is you've got Lord of the Rings on the left, <laughs> and you've got Game of Thrones on the right. Where do you feel a tariff is between those two in regards to violence, the type of issues that you're dealing with, the whole goody goodiness of some of the characters and their flaws? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I think it is well. Do we both agree? I think it's full frontal Game of Thrones potentially. <laughs> I I am of the I I think it's a a, a little bit more middle of the road than that. Okay. Um. So, <laughs> I mean, we 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 both also have like elements of the story that we've invested more time into. So I guess me and me and Sean see it from di- certain things from different perspectives. But no, it, it does. I like mean to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> Like blood. We don't skimp on, on the violence. I, if anything, the first issue really indicates that. Because <laughs> okay. This is uh, going to be Attack on Titan. Just gonna kill. <laughs> you see that character? You're going to get really attached to them? Don't. <laughs> don't don't love anyone. <laughs> we we don't skip on the violence cold. either, but we we don't do it for for violence sake either. It's yeah. not like you know we we don't do gore porn or anything. No, of like course that. they make well, decisions, and that decision turns into either a good one or you're dead. Yeah, yeah, but it, it won't ever be the case where it's like the Disney kind of thing where you see the bad guy just fall off to the side of the screen. And it's like you just assume he's dead. Like <laughs> well, characters have definite <laughs> endings. Definite, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if we don't see them dead, then they could be coming back. Well, that's the case that's for all point. media, but we, we usually try to like uh, at, at least like shy away from like stuff like that. So were yeah. there any characters in this story that you have felt bad about killing? Mm. 
a lot. A lot. <laughs> I mean, we we plan the we again we we plan the story like very much in advance. So we we know uh, stuff that would theoretically take like years to tell, mm-hmm. and that includes character deaths and like it, some of them were very hard to like kind of write their ending to. It's like, and I think we'll be sticking to that. I know sometimes writers kind of change their minds about stuff, but no, when we're committed to like you know killing off a character, that that's it. So how, when we look how far in advance have you guys like blueprinted this? Because uh, you have the first issue coming out when? Um, the Kickstarter ends in about fifteen days yeah, or okay. more or less. So uh, end of the month. So theoretically, would you say you have at least, let's say, twenty issues? Easy. Oh, easily yeah. written. Easily. Like, yeah, I would. Wow. I, I'm gonna go as far to say maybe a hundred. As oh, wow. in, not 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 like written in dialogue. Like, well, yeah, not yeah. Written in uh, but we we have well, you said blueprinted. Like, blueprinted. You know. Yes, we yeah. we have uh, quite a lot. I, I think we we have a master Google document that uh, Sean and I use to like write ideas down and also storyboard stuff, and that has to have at least. 50 70 yeah. pages yeah oh, no. it's like nice. a, it's a full timeline and then we broke it down by issue and then by arc so it'll go like arc then issues r- involved in that arc the thing is we understand that because of page limitations we don't want to do like a 30 page 50 page yeah. situation so some of those might change some may bleed into other arcs so we'll have to like adjust for that as we go through the writing process but uh yeah we we have that skeleton set up in terms of the lore so I mean, I don't know. If we had all the money in the world, then uh, we, yeah, we yeah, could uh, bang it out. out. But right now, we we also we don't want to rush to like. We might have all this stuff out there, but we don't want to rush to like, you know, pump it out there because we want to, you know, uh, make sure we tell the story we want to tell and make sure each character and and then the overall arcs themselves are, are given plenty of uh, good pacing. Yeah. Now, how do you, uh, you guys have the master document? Have you ever? during the process because i know a lot of us even i've gone through it did a creative process have you ever saw yourself getting sidetracked with some of the plots and how do you keep yourself from getting sidetracked (laughs) sorry tommy (laughs) uh i'm sorry julio (laughs) that's me all the time like I will get sidetracked and I'll come up with like, uh, oh, you know what? You remember that peasant girl from yeah. like six issues back? <laughs> Let's say it's time for a twenty-page backstory. Yep. When <laughs> she loses her father, that's it. Everything changes. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, personally, I don't consider that losing track. Whatever additional story we 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 end up coming back to, or like, uh, sometimes we come back to old concepts and that leads to new story plot points and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes. They really add to the story so we never look at it as getting sidetracked like yes some of these plot points may never get touched on and we just have them on the side but i, I think it helps us flex our our, our creative chops and uh, we at the end of the day if we don't use it we look at it as a good creative exercise yeah but i, I definitely tend to lose track I know <laughs> <that>. <laughs> so i just want to bring it back just back to uh the uh, d- deaths thing because I was just thinking about a question that I had and we can come back to where we're done but I want to know when we read the first issue how many people in the first issue do you know are going to die? Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Because and of spoilers. Why? <laughs> yo, every time you ask about death Sean's eyes get so big. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I feel like he, he's the grim reaper of this comic right now. <laughs> no, we... Uh, the thing is, I'm like, a death dragon. <laughs> actually, no? well, death, death dragon is our thing. That's, that's one thing yeah. we'll reveal but... 
Uh, no, this isn't. Uh, I don't want to call us like Game of Thrones where we're killing people right off the bat. Uh, but I don't want to. Uh, there's so much I want to say, but we can't say because we got to let the, the story speak for itself. Yes, that's so, fair enough. Yes, that's no, fair enough. We're not asking for spoilers, Tony. All right, 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 all right. All right, all right. Hashtag Pick Tony up. Stark dies. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Too soon. Too soon. Too no, soon. no, no. Too soon was when he did it. Like literally the day after the Russo brothers lifted the the ban, oh, that's so heavy. the spoiler <laughs> ban lifted. He goes, so there's going to be spoilers. By the way, you want to know how serious I am? Tony Stark dies. I took off my headphones. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm gonna need to take a break real quick. Episode was done. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, so that, that band aid got cut off <laughs> <laughs> real quick. No, I'm I'm actually curious. So, what was like one of the hardest things to write about? So, do you have like with your antagonists and your villains? Do you have? Was it hard writing a real believable motivation for them to kind of have the reader kind of have a conflict of siding with the villain, understanding the villain. So like, tell me a little bit about that creative process. Cause I always just like reading about villains. They tend to be one of my favorite types of characters, especially when they're well thought out and written. And I kind of just feel for them. The mm. villains are the best. <laughs> you don't have to give, you don't, you don't no have spoilers, to give like, just yeah, no spoilers. What, uh, more so the, the process of you writing it. Well, what I will yeah. say is uh, one thing that was nice was, Due to the fact that we looked at it as growing with these characters, um, not to say any names, but someone may end up being villain. <laughs> and okay. the cool thing about that, what it allowed us to do, is to have you grow with them organically and watch how they slowly start to change their decision making. Oh, how Daenerys should have been handled in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Easily, yes. yes. <laughs> you're still bar- you're still feeling that one. <laughs> I still. I'd like to chime in. I'm kind of miffed about that too. So. <laughs> uh, he uh, Antonio's not the only one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I easily felt they dropped the ball on that. And that, that actually solidified how I feel about how we're doing it, where it's like, you know, y- you want to see it through their lens. That's what engages you on a villain. Uh, you mm. know, it's sometimes it's okay to have your, like, uh, like, like Frieza was fine at the time. Uh, <laughs> Frieza yeah. was fine at the no. time. But, but like, going into it, I think, like, uh, just as an example, as a parallel, you know, they started to develop the characters more in Super. I don't know if anybody watches that, but... Yep. It's something where it's like, I feel like it's necessary for the lifespan of a story because you can only have a dead end villain do so many things like, like yeah. <laughs> however yeah, many times. One dimensional villains are not compelling. They don't make for compelling storytelling. When you have a, a character or uh, in this case, a villain just doing evil for evil's sake, there's nothing more to learn. No one's really interested in that character because like their entire backstory is just like, I'm evil. I want to kill stuff. It's like, it's just like, why do you want to find out more about that guy if there's nothing much more to find out? So we were talking about villains. And so a question I had for you guys is that I know that will be your comic will be going over arcs and you had that all planned out. Uh, do you have any type of overarching conflict that you may have some one-time villains in, in these arcs leading up to? So sort of just to go a broad comparison, some sort of Thanos type of event and you have a bunch of low-level characters kind of doing their bidding or things they're doing or eventually feeding up to that. Um, yeah, we totally do. Uh, one that you'll find out about right, uh, I, well, maybe not right in the first issue, but very early on in the story. Basically, um, a majority of what their religion is based on is the idea that these dragons, um, or the gods of each element, hold the universe together. So you have fire, earth, wind, water, uh, death, and light. And so as omnipotent gods, they can take any form that they want. They can do whatever they want. They exist without any sort of limitation. Um, 
eventually they decide, like, hey, let's just be random things. Like one becomes a planet, one decides to be a squirrel. They do whatever they want. But what starts to change it up is when they decide to become human. The be- gods. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so um, the earth dragon decides, you know what? I want to have a child. I want to see what that's like. That would be an amazing experience. And so the earth dragon gives birth to the empress, which is kind of like the Jesus of the story. I get. Not literally, but you know, it, something it's a like very, that. Uh, it's kind of like uh, historical figures of old, kind of like, you know, you have Hercules and, and exactly. stuff like that. So the Empress, as it turns out, is the first dragon heir. It's the first human who was born with uh, the power to control elements. And in history of, of Atara, she's known as the, the Empress. So this is more like your deep, your deep lore that yeah. goes all the way back. Yeah. But okay. we, we talk about this early on. It's integral to their religion and, and their history. So you see bits and pieces of this scattered around like the main story. Characters will mention uh like uh the empress or they'll talk about like the dragon gods and stuff like that or they'll invoke their name uh and uh, eventually we will go into like the full story but we we have an abbreviated version so yeah uh at this is thousands of years ago like yeah yeah. quite a bit of time Uh, before the main story and so uh just to get back on track with the villain uh idea so uh the the first villain i guess of all existence um, ends up being the death dragon because as the death dragon as existing as death um, things need to die <laughs> and so that's never the most pleasant thought um, all the other dragons say hey buddy listen you should become a human and the death dragon's <laughs> like I don't know man that just feels weird I don't think that's something I want to experience and they're like nah come on you want to be one of the cool kids do it do it and so he, he goes you know what screw it let me try it and it it experiences love, life, and all the things that it just can't part with. But at the same time, it exists as death. It needs to die, but it doesn't want to die. And it also needs to kill, but it doesn't want to kill the things that it loves. And so that becomes such a, I guess, like a, a hit to the foundation of its existence. It kind of, it just bugs out, kind of like a computer would. And it realizes that, well, it feels that it's like a mistake, that it shouldn't really exist. That flips into existence and it goes, you know what? Maybe existence is wrong. Maybe I have it right. What if I recreate the world in my own image by just destroying everything? If I do that, then maybe I can please the creator and show it a new world where we can all exist. So it doesn't necessarily come from an, like, you know, I hate everything, but more of just like a, I want a world where I'm okay to be, you know, to exist in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, uh he's not evil for evil's sake in terms of like he wants to technically destroy everything but from his point of view that's the only way to kind of save everything he feels like the current iteration of the cycle of things living and dying is just flawed so he wants to kind of like try again and and have it to because he feels like his purpose while being human but also ensuring the death of everything like he can't uh he he can't have both existences coexist so he he it's kind of like a, a computer program glitching out. He was he serves as one of the foundations of, of the universe, but at the same time he, he doesn't want to anymore, or like not in, in the way he wants to as a human. No, those are some of the best villains actually in history yeah. if you look at it. And in the history of storytelling, a lot of the best villains are those that are not necessarily evil. But it's like, you know, they'd still it's still a heinous act that they're committing. Killmonger was right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was one. Um, 
But we, 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 we have our villains in history that we also do hate that, you know, again, they're doing something for um, their specific beliefs and reasons. Um, we can name, um, you know, that Full Metal Alchemist father. What's his name? Your favorite father. Oh, oh, the, oh. oh the doggy man. <laughs> I, I like that. That That's what you guys are putting. It, it shows that there's a lot of thought put into the characters, the villains. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what else you guys have going on with the, the book and everything um, in terms of um, what it goes with the character designing element. So you guys have an artist that you guys have hired with this book. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the process of finding the artist? And let us know a little bit more about the artist, too, that you have on the book. Uh, well, we are very fortunate enough to work with a very talented uh, Randy Vellante. Um, he is an artist based out of uh, in the Philippines. Nice. Um, <laughs> but he has done uh, a lot of work with uh, uh, American comic book studios uh, off the top of my head. Uh, I believe he's worked with Xenoscope. Uh, he's also done work on Grim Fairy Tales, uh, Wonderland, uh, Twilight Zone, Army of Darkness, uh, Reanimator, oh. Oh, and wow. uh, Vampirella. Yeah, he's been around on the scene for, for a while now. Uh, so he's no stranger to uh, working with like uh, American writers. You guys got a steal. <laughs> yeah, he actually, uh, when we were first uh, looking to make this into a comic, uh, we put an ad out there. Uh, I believe the site we used was Wool, but we, we put ourselves uh, out on a bunch of uh, uh, websites uh, seeking uh, artists for, for comics. And he actually uh, saw our ad, approached us, and liked our concept, and he was ready to go. And uh, within a very short time, he had uh, drawn up some character sketch concepts for us out uh, of descriptions we gave him and we we loved every one of them so it was like you're hired it's been a joy to work with him um we can't complain he's definitely helped us uh put our vision onto paper it was actually an interesting process trying to because we've never worked with an artist before so it's like do i just go make them beautiful <laughs> <laughs> make that other one ugly though <laughs> like, you know i wasn't sure how to describe these things so but what we did was we actually created like a small portfolio for each character and then we just took our biggest influences like for example let's say if there was a female character that most resembled uh scarlett johansson as a uh, black widow right then we would take shots of her and go okay so like maybe these kinds of facial features and this haircut but we want this color in terms of her eyes and then the clothing that they wear we would then like look up like i mean depending on the culture and where we think would be a good trajectory we'd go ancient chinese clothing of this kind of era and we would get all of that as a reference folder send it to him and then he would draw a sketch for us yeah we wanted to make sure that like uh, a lot of our characters and even the clothing they wore a war were uh, influenced by real world uh, designs so we we didn't want to make it like it, it the world is very high fantasy but uh, certain elements in the design are very grounded in the real world and so what was that what was that that uh that feeling because i know sean you were saying you've had the story in these characters within you for such a long time to give your baby to someone else and create these visuals for you what was that like when you first opened uh, an asset that he sent you with everything you put. What was that like? It was absolutely, it's, it's kind of, well, I mean, <clears throat> I am not a father, so <laughs> I don't know what that experience is like, but it's, it's sort of like, I guess, seeing a child born in a way, because it's the first time that you're laying eyes on something that for a while you had your own thought. Uh, you know, I would assume that, you know, you're thinking like, Oh, what is, are they going to laugh? Are they going to be well, quiet? Are they gonna... Yeah. What, what, what? 
if like this is similar to I mean I don't know I've never created something and then had someone make it for me but I will say that <laughs> seeing your child for the first time and holding them is a very surreal <laughs> yeah, and life-changing experience. Yeah, this is, so I guess what I'm likening is just like the thought of like, well, what are you going to be like? I mean, I have mm-hmm. this idea for you and how I want to treat you, but um, you know, I don't know how you're going to end up. And then when Randy actually put it on paper or put it on PDF or however that that stuff works. <laughs> um, you know, seeing it for the first time, I don't know. It was like what I had originally thought, which is always going to be completely different from what you're going to see, at least in my opinion. Uh, if you're not the artist at least. Uh, that just disappeared or it like it was of its own time and now what I see with Randy and how he does everything that's what it is that's how it exists so as writers what advice would you give to someone who's sitting there who's created something um, what advice would you give to them with um, their expectations from an artist I would say dial that back like yes. chill out with because um, I'm not sure how most people are with artists. Again, as we've said before, like we're very new to the scene. But um, like with Randy, there are, I will admit there are many times that we'll we'll tell him like, "Hey, can you try this?" And it'll be like the exact opposite of what we asked, and we're just like, "Ah, oh, damn, son." <laughs> but that, that's the thing with working with a, another person. Uh, it, unless you are the the artist yourself, and which you know a lot of comics are are, are written and and drawn by a single person if you're a writer working with an artist there's always going to be a small disconnect and, and that's no matter how perfect you describe stuff and i think the key thing for new people uh or anyone out there that's just working with someone else on something you you have to nothing's ever going to be uh, as it is in your mind uh it's more like you know you you get it as close as possible and you move on because i think it's better to like have to move on and just have it like as close as possible versus like really getting caught on like the the small details uh because it it just takes too much time Uh, it's like i think the most important thing is just getting your story and getting it out there uh and also like you know finding the right artist too but i think the main thing is like it's never going to be uh as you envision it in your head because it only exists in your head it's like you know trying to communicate that to another human being is is an arduous process I would also say it, it's a team process. Yeah. You're, you know, the artist is not your enemy. The, the person is trying to help you out. And yes, don't fight your artist. It's like <laughs> yeah. they're only there to help you. I, I, I think it's, it's also a beautiful situation when you guys work in tandem in the sense that it's like you give them your vision and then they create their kind of like it's a tapestry then they sew in their little stuff and it becomes a blankie that's just beautiful oh yeah that's the opposite end of the (laughs) spectrum there are certain things where it's like yes you may you may not uh it may not have turned out like your vision but then there are other instances where it's like you see something that you described it turns out even better than you describe it's like i can never have imagined it like this cool or like you did it in a in a way that it's like blew my expectations away so there's also the uh, uh, the the ability for that to happen and it's really wonderful when it's like you give an artist like your idea and they exceed your expectations or they they portray a character or a concept even greater than you could have imagined i want to piggyback really quick cuz this is your idea sean how yeah. did you rope julio into this um like what was that like again before you even gave it to the artist you had to give it to him how did you rope that i I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, did, when did we I, meet? I, I don't <laughs> think it's a, more of a... I mean... Uh, Trump, I think it was just something where we would be just, hanging out. Yeah, and like, we talked yeah. about it. I mean, like, maybe we watched a movie or something, and then 
uh, Sean said, oh, like this reminded me of like the, this idea I had in my story. And then we would, you know, say, oh, it'd be cool if this thing happened. And I think it was less uh, some him roping me in and more me on my own going like, hey, this would actually make a cool story. You should put it out there. So, uh, and uh, then I went, help me. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I will Don't just tell you. me to do it. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. You, you brought his shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's our shit. So. Yeah, there you, go, there you go. There you go. So, could you talk to us a little bit about the Kickstarter? What you're looking to get from it? I see here that you know part of that Kickstarter, part of your pledges, is getting a paperback. So, are you looking to go down the route of creating a paperback for the long run? Are you looking more so a paperback just for the Kickstarter and for your backers, and then maybe create a website or be on some type of platform? to eventually just be a mainly digital type of product? Um, I mean, honestly, if we could go paperback, I would love that. But from my perspective, that's... I would want to do that because I think I would try to get creative with it and do, like, really interesting concepts within that. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we could put, like, cool trading cards in there and <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I think that'd be fun. You would. I mean, I guess you could do that uh, digitally as well, but uh, I don't know. I feel like paperback is also something that it's so nostalgic and people really resonate with it. It's something where, you know, if you have, if legends of Atara were to, you know, really succeed, the first issue is something that people go like, Oh my God, I remember when they had that crappy Kickstarter and you know, but I got the paperback. I was one of those people who got that one paperback. It doesn't even have an IBSN number on it or like, this is OG fam. You know, so that's something I think would be really cool. And I would love to, you know, go through that but i i think at the same time i have to be realistic and look at it as you know would digitally be less costly for us and would it be a smarter route i would love to pursue paperback and anything outside of that but i don't know well yeah no mirroring what sean said uh we basically chose to do paperback because that is the traditional form comics take and i think there's something uh very uh i don't know how to describe it, it just feels better to hold something in your hands and read it versus kind of like reading on your phone or your tablet or your computer. Uh, it, there's something about like a physical copy of something that just makes it more real. Uh, kind of makes the words pop out more on the page and the art seems, I don't know, more vibrant on, on, on paper. Uh, that's not to, to kind of uh, put down digital only uh, art or publications. Um, which we we are realistically thinking of pursuing. It just all it, it all dep- uh, depends on the de- the demand. If more people want to see it on print, we be happy to you know print our, all our future uh, publications. Uh, if it's more feasible just to uh, put it out online only, we'll pursue that. Again, we're kind of new to this, so we're we're feeling out the interest and just going from there. That's why we we put out the Kickstarter. Uh, to see if there is a demand for uh, uh, print or if we should just go digital only. Hearing your story and just seeing the passion behind it, I mean, knowing that you've got this Cimmerillion amount of backstory and <laughs> lore about your world, and I'm always a huge fan of, of lore. Like, I read so much lore in regards to Game of Thrones, I don't, I can throw up. But <laughs> it's just really dope that you have this. And, like, you guys are local, and I know you guys. It's different when you just you see it online from someone who's really famous or a really famous artist and they have all this information in their head and you're like, how the hell do they do that? And like, you know, you can really, you can hardly ever ask them that question. You can't really get a real answer, but being able to talk to you guys here and asking, shit, how do you have all this information? What was that process? What was like, what's it like to know that 
you've got all your other things you got to worry about. You got to worry about work and you got to worry about bills. And then in the back of your head, he's like, you also have like this entire goddamn world that you love and you got to put it on paper or there are going to be pieces of it that aren't going to be on there. They're just going to be maybe little hints of it in imagery or, but that image or something is like, that has a story. And you don't know if you can share that yet or if you're going to share it a little bit later or if it's just more like, oh, no, we just have that there. And if you ask a question about it, we can give you a full-blown answer. <laughs> and I think that's that's dope and awesome. And I really am looking forward to reading your first issue. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, and yeah. we, we hope that everyone will be able to read our story, too. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I think that at, at the core, the dream is just to be able to storytell. And, you know, maybe some people don't resonate with it but the people who do and they go like oh man i, I was really moved uh you know i i came out of work and i was so frustrated but issue 36 came out and it just it brightened my day it was a nice issue it was very lighthearted and, and that thinking that that can pull somebody away from like the unfortunate day-to-day -day, mm. that's a really nice thing so where can we find you guys on the kickstarter social media throw us some links yes uh you can find us first uh on our facebook page uh, Legends of Atara, uh, and then on our Kickstarter, uh, you can find us there also under Legends of Atara issue number one, kickstarter.com slash projects slash LOE, uh, stands for Legends of Atara. And we are also setting up our other media image, uh, pages. So yeah, uh, at Legends of Atara for Twitter. That's a, uh, you know, Twitter, a little, <laughs> Twitter. A little tweet every here and there. <laughs> Uh, yep, and um, if there are more platforms... When the, when the digital uh, comics come out, where are they going to be released? If the Kickstarter uh, does not go through, uh, we'll, we'll just uh, release it ourselves. So we'll probably announce a link uh, on the Facebook. Cool. Uh, but you currently can uh, pre-order a, a digital copy at our Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter right now, uh, along with uh, physical copies as well. Oh, and prints. And prints. We do yeah. have a number of limited edition prints uh, with our first batch of uh, comics. So uh, stay peeled for that. And looking at those pledges. Yep. 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 Um, then, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Legends of Atara out July 8th. Sweet. Awesome. We're ready we, for that. Perfect. We're ready. Yeah. No, we Stocking really, stuffer. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we really appreciate you guys coming on over. Thank I you know guys. you guys are are close by. <laughs> ah, yes, yeah. we are also Bronx natives. Yes, yes, yes. So and I've and I've uh, you know I've known both James, aka Julio. Uh, I like to make that <laughs> distinction now. Uh, He's JJ. You'll see there on the go. cover, JJ. James Pierce. That is my pen name. Uh, I've been using that for a little while now. Uh, I am Julio from the Bronx, but uh, my pen name is James Pierce. So if you ever see another story by by James Pierce, that is me. So I've known Julio for, I don't know, since grade school or some not craziness? Uh, yes, we, we met through our <laughs> through my cousin, your cousin. My cousin. <laughs> One of my best uh, friends. Yeah, uh, Armani. Uh, and then we've just, we, we've known each other ever since. It has to be like 15 years ago. Yeah, that's almost. a long time. We're, a long we're, we're reaching 30 right now. I think, yes. we, yeah, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or even more than that. I think, like, you're still babies. You're yeah. one of, you, you guys are still babies. We've already given you a bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've known Julio Aww. is one of the few people in my life I've known longer than my wife. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's true. Uh, and I think Sean falls into that perspective too. I think. I'm not sure. Potentially. 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 Maybe. We'll see. But I've also known Sean for a long time. You know, we've I've got stories for days, but one story that I'd like to share with I guess Sean and I'm sure Julio was there. It was Christmas, two thousand and twelve. <laughs> 
I know this one. Gather around, children. Christmas two thousand. <laughs> Christmas two thousand and twelve. I will say is one of the first and probably only nights I've ever blacked out. Let me tell you why. <laughs> oh, I can remember that. <laughs> Let me tell you why. So me and I think Miguel and I think Hulu's other cousin, we were all sharing a bottle of Bacardi, just going at it. Yep. And you, you got to know what the conversation is. The conversation we were having was about Metal Gear Solid. Oh, yes. <laughs> People could get very heated about Metal Gear yes. Solid. Yes, we were talking about Metal Gear Solid. And I think we were talking about Skies of Arcadia or, or some other... A video game. Some other video game. And it was just, you know, that's a night that I uh, that sticks to me because I'm like going in, drinking like crazy and just going having full-blown. No, it was Chrono Trigger. That's what we were talking about. Ooh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just having full-blown conversations while taking shots of Bacardi straight up out of the handle. That's, was, a, that's a game that'll get you drunk. <laughs> <laughs> drunk in multiple timelines. In multiple. Yeah, yeah. in multiple timelines. Um, anyway, I just wanted to share that little tidbit before we uh, get, out on out, get on out of here. So you can find us at on Twitter at the Nerds O T R on Instagram the Nerds of the Round. You can like our Facebook page, the Nerds of the Round. My co-host Sebastian, where can we find you, man? You can find me at Sebastian Bonet Art on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find me at Jesse and Sebastian on Instagram and Facebook. Follow our vlogs. Um, you can definitely find me on the Nerds of the Round pages yes, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me at and Beyond Mag and Beyond. You can find me almost anywhere on the net. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Law? He's not trying to hide right now. Yeah. Yeah. Law, our newest co-host, our newest co-host who is on the um, no longer. He's on this. He is. Well, let me describe what Law is on right now because um, we only have four mics. Um, Law is on the the the, the trainee mic right now for co-host. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He's trying to make it sound like I don't have like 14 other podcasts that I do. Like, I'm the new kid on the block. But sure, sure, sure. Uh, you guys can find me at Towels by Law. We just recently uh, launched uh, social media for the You Can't Be Serious comic. You can find us at YCBS Comic um, all over social media. We actually, as we're recording, just released issue five today. Hopefully getting issue six out very soon, and we are greenlit for animation soon, so look out for that. And I do have to add and thank our sponsors, and Beyond. that's I-N-B-E-O-N.com, and Beyond. Use code GETNERDY with it. Get 10% off all services, which includes web hosting, includes and beyond products such as comics. It includes all other services. Also, and Beyond Con is coming up. And Beyond Con, use code GETNERDY with it. Get 10% off your tickets and if you're an artist writer cosplayer anybody in the creative community looking for a table guess what that gets you 10 percent off off on your table that is mbeyond.com <laughs> and of course i am tone from across the hall julio and sean i'm so happy you guys are here thank you for coming thank on i think this has been one of our best episodes this oh, is great I, I it was it was a really good time um, one of our first like interview type of episodes and we really loved it. It was I great. I think it was our most professional episode. One of our most professional <laughs> episodes, I don't have to say. It's pretty, it was a good time. So everyone, you're listening, you know, if the Kickstarter hasn't been passed, make sure you give money to these guys. This is some really great product. And if it has passed, look for their digital products, look for their digital comic and pay to read it because I'm really excited for it. So until then, we are the nerds of the round. Stay nerdy. Peace.